First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13. 13 really through chapter five up to verse 11 is one thought, boom. Chapter four, verse 13 through chapter five, verse 11. And it's really about when Jesus comes back and the day of the Lord. These two, these two themes that we see uh, in scripture and playing out um, really in, in other places. And so I'm gonna draw on a few other places, but we're gonna keep it and, and keep the emphasis where Paul has it. Remember, I don't have time to, to give the complete background. So go back and listen to the other messages that we've preached, but I'll, I'll give you this briefly. The context, this is a church plant that had Paul for two to three months. And he, he gave them a Christian worldview and was ran out of town. He's riding back from Athens and he has sent Timothy back into uh, this church to fortify, to sure them up in their discipleship, in their growth. So this is a young church plant. Uh, we can draw a lot of connections from where we are to where they were um, and understand that this was a melting pot for different types of people from different places, uh, different points of view. And so Paul is addressing a specific concern here in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13. Let's read it. But I would not have you to be, what's it say? And that's not like the Dundalk way of saying ignorant. That person is just ignorant. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, I didn't block it there. If, you're, if you've been in this area any amount of time, you've heard people use that word. Uh, not really in this context. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are what? Asleep, we would say concerning them which are dead. They don't, they don't passed on. There's not a funeral that goes by that I don't use this passage in. I preach this passage every funeral. Uh, I pray that one of you preaches it at my funeral one of these days. Uh, but it's a great passage for that. We're talking about those that have passed on. So I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep or dead, that ye sorrow, what's it say? Not even as others which have no hope. I... Sorrow is inevitable, but hope is available. Sorrow is inevitable, but hope is what? It's available. Paul is saying, listen, we only came into contact for two to three months. I gave you this Christian worldview. I know you got questions, and so my, the way I'm seeing this contextually is Timothy reaches this church, and we know from last week's message that some of them have quit their jobs. Some of them are sitting around on their thumbs waiting for the Lord to come back now. And Paul is like, no, tell them to go get busy. Tell them to go get jobs. Tell them to get after it. There's reason to be after there's reason for them to be after it. And, and so it's clear that they have a question. And, and they ask Timothy, they say, Timothy, what happens to people that have died? You guys ran off and left us and we got questions. And Timothy's like, chill. Uh, let, me, let, me, let, let me explain to you how Paul puts this. And Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to not know what happens. I just want you to get busy and, and we'll help you understand how this worldview plays out. And here's how it plays out. You're gonna have sorrow. You're gonna be upset when, when your loved ones pass on. We're tore apart when we see a child lose their life. We're tore apart when we see children's parents. That happened Friday night. I lost it. Uh, doing a funeral for, for some, a, a children's parent. Like, that's a tough, hard thing. It's been a, a very uh, a monumental thing in my heart and a shift in my life watching it happen as a pastor, uh, trying to shepherd through those things. But it, it is, it, it's hard. You're going to sorrow. But Paul says, listen to me. You're not going to sorrow as those that have no what? Hope. Here it is. Those that have had no hope have been present 
as long as unbelief has been present. Look at the next verse, verse 14. For if we, what? Believe. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus. That's the context. What happens? Timothy asked Paul, what happens to our loved ones when they die? Even them which sleep in Jesus, will God bring what? With him. God will bring them with him. So here's what I'm seeing here. They asked Timothy this question, what happens to my loved ones? Understand this, that three to 400 years before this conversation takes place, there's philosophers, philosophers like Socrates saying statements like these. Oh, that there were some divine word upon which we could more securely and less perilously sell upon a stronger vessel. The philosophers were not giving them uh, eternal hope. That the day and age in which they were receiving the best of information was information that was, uh, well, essentially, we don't really have anything. You're going to return to the ground. Oh, that we had some sort of belief, some sort of vessel, some sort of thought, some worldview that we could sail upon that would be better. The modern day philosophers, what they could not offer, Jesus could. Where they fell short, where man's philosophy ends, God's love begins. And what Paul says to them is understand this, sorrow is inevitable, but hope is available. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what's being constructed. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Therefore, we are always, what's the next word? Confident. Stay with me. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the what? Body. This is Paul's words. The same fella who wrote Thessalonians wrote Corinthians. These thoughts go together. While we are here in the body, we are absent from who? The Lord. For we walk by faith and not by So while I'm here in the body, I'm away from the Lord. He's confident. Do you see that word? Therefore, we are always what? Confident. This is something that you can take to the bank. If we're here, he's there. And because we're here, we cannot be what? There. Got it? Finish the verse. We are confident, I say, and willing rather, and willing rather, <laughs> think about what he's saying. Because I understand what the Lord has given to me in the gospel, I'm good to be here and I'm good to be there. I don't mind if I'm there, that means I'm not here. But if I'm here, I'm not there. But I can walk by faith from here or I can go be with him there. It doesn't matter why, because I was made to be something eternal. I was made to be something immortal. What is here is not the end, it is just the beginning. To be absent from the body is to be present with the who? Lord, Paul is educating and instructing them in his word. He's echoing in Thessalonians something that he has already prepared. The Holy Spirit has already spoken. Paul has a clear, a confident understanding. We don't need to be confident about a seven-year tribulation. You know what we need to be? I'm, and I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. It's okay. You'll be all right. Here's what we need to be confident in. We need to be confident that if we die here, we're going there. Right. And we need to be confident that, that if we stay here, he's still there. Right. And we can walk by faith. Right. What am I saying? Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive, back in the text, 1 Thessalonians 4.15, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not proceed. That word prevent is, sorry, King James translators, it's, 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 does, it's not a good word. It's proceed, if you look it up, shall not proceed them which are asleep. In other words, they're gonna come before us and it's consistent with Paul's explanation. Paul is saying when the Lord comes, the dead in Christ will rise what? First, we're not going before them, they're going before us. That's what he's saying. He's consistently saying God has a plan for your loved ones who have passed on. And that plan is they're coming with them. And then he's gonna expound on that plan even more. But I, I wanna pull up here real quick. I got two points. I think what the spirit of the passage that Paul is delivering to them, I have two of them, two points that I wanna drive home that we should be confident in. And then the rest of it is practical. I'm gonna give you two things to be confident in that I, that I see from the passage that are clear. And then three practical things, the whole last part of the passage are three practical things that we can do and uh, how we can act as the church moving forward. How many know that there's a plan for your life moving forward, okay? So we're gonna leave with that, but, but first, I, I don't wanna miss this. How does this eschatological timeline or the end times timeline play out in our faith practically? You know what I mean? Like it's like the, these people like offer these seminars where you go and you hear about end time prophecy and it's like you get all excited and, and then you're like, okay, good. Now I know something's gonna happen, but it doesn't take you anywhere. It doesn't practically impact your life. You, you know what I mean? Or is it just me? Maybe it's just me. I know I should have. So how does Paul disciple, and maybe this is, uh, here, here's what I'm saying. Paul put it practically because he knew he had people depending on him to, to put it practically. Maybe half our problem is that we're not discipling anybody. You're good to be out in, in no man's land dreaming about what's gonna happen because you don't have anyone that's saying, what's next, what's gonna happen? Well, it could be this, it could be that. You're all worked up over here about what's coming and you're not bringing anybody with you. You're what we call missing the point. Okay, so here's the point that I see Paul making because he's discipling a young group of Christians and we would do well, church, to go back to the place where we were young in the faith and where we didn't have all these different things clouding our mind, all these different sermons that were taken out of context. <laughs> anyway, for previous faiths, previous messages that I've been a part of. Here's what I see Paul saying. Number one, there is life after death for those that believe, trust, and have faith. What am I seeing Paul say? I'm seeing Paul say this. There is life after death for those that believe, trust, and have faith. Really? Yeah, look at verse 14. Look at it. For if we what? Believe. believe. For if we what? Believe. believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep, that are dead, in Christ, in Jesus, will God bring what? With him. Here's, here's a point that I need to make to you this morning, and maybe you've never heard this. Maybe this is something you've heard for the first time. It's this, number one, Paul is getting the point across to them that there is a life after death for those that believe, trust, and have faith. Do you understand how big that is? Do you understand how groundbreaking that is? <laughs> 
like literal groundbreaking. When we are baptized, when I baptized my daughter here a few weeks ago, what are, what are we saying? We are buried with Christ's death, buried in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. What we, what we are saying and declaring in our Christian walk is that Christ's death was our death to our life of sin and destruction, and we are raised and quickened by his spirit to live eternally. Paul is saying, you got questions? I got answers, and here's the answer. Understand this, that if your loved one died in Christ, his death paid the price for them to continue on forever and eternally. If, if you are confronted with the fact that a doctrine or a teaching that says that we cease existence, that we do not live forever, that's a false doctrine according to Paul's teaching in the word of God. Do you see that? False. Point number one is if you believe, if you believe and in, in trust in Jesus Christ, then there's life after death. Now here's the problem. We put our focus and emphasis there but Paul doesn't stop there. Yeah, there's, I'm going to heaven. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Of course, it's gonna be an incredible day. But they had already begun to sit on their thumbs, quit their jobs and be like, all right, Lord, we're ready for your coming. Any day. You back yet? How about now? I really don't wanna to go to work this morning. <laughs> I roll over, I'm gonna hit the snooze. I'm gonna give you 10 more minutes, God, to come back right now. Snooze. I'm gonna put my, my rapture alarms on my phone. It's coming, I can feel it. Holy Spirit told me. You know, how many times, look back through history, how many people prophesied that the Lord was gonna come back? And guess what? He didn't. Do you ever find a place in the Bible where Paul said he's coming this date, this time. Anyone? No. Paul was confident that when he does come, we're going to be with him. But if we die here, we're going there. I'm confident about that. But I'm also confident that his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts and I'm not him. Lord's coming back in 35 minutes. Let's wait. I promise. I feel it in my spirit. Oh, that, but you, I mean, we laugh, but that literally happens all the time. There, see, that's what happens when we're putting the emphasis on things that we should not put the emphasis on. So let's, let's continue to walk through this passage. The first thing that I see Paul saying, hey, guess what? There's life after death for those that who? Oh, wait a minute. If there's only life after death for those that believe, what about all those that don't believe? Does that not bring urgency to what we do? Does that not bring weight to what we do as a church? Every post that goes out on social media, every song that we sing, every conversation that we have, if you truly believe what Paul was discipling them with, this is gonna change the way you think. Your coworker, your family that doesn't know the Lord. If you truly believe that there's life after death for those that believe, then that means that there's not life after death for those that do not believe. Do you understand? Like it, that brings weight. Let's continue. 
1 Thessalonians 4.14, for if we believe that Jesus died, God will bring him with him. Putting your enduring confidence in Jesus, listen, is a decision that is made from a price that has been paid. Before I completely move on here, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in the finished work that you could not do, not one person here has lived a sinless life thus far. You were born into this world behind the eight ball, Romans 5, 12. You were born into this world a sinner. If you question whether we have sin nature, come hang out in my house for five minutes and watch my three little children run around. Those little hellions, they'll prove sin nature right off the bat. And if you believe your kids are perfect, I pray for your spouse. Like we're sinners, folks. And if we don't have the blood of Jesus over our lives, a price, a price that has been paid, then your bet is not made for eternity. You understand that? But if we believe, if we put our hope in simply Jesus, listen, we have an eternal life that's awaiting. Okay, let's continue to move forward here what Paul is saying. The cross of Jesus secures our hope our hope of glory, it comes via the cross. Our sins have been eradicated. He, he's saying, accept him, trust in him. Give Jesus your life today. Now, let's assume that they did that. Let's assume that they were putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's assume that you put your faith, how many have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ today? And if you haven't, we'll give you a chance. But if you have, which is a lot of you, listen to this verse, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Romans 8, 29 through 30. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to what? The image of his son. So you see Paul saying the same thing that John is saying. Do you see the consistency, the common thread? And if we bring that into Thessalonians, when the Lord comes back, we will see him as he is and we will become as he is. Look, look at the progression here in Romans chapter eight. Maybe this is new theology for you. Whom he did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So we see here, and already, but not yet, our salvation is a completed project in the process. <laughs> yeah! We see here this theme that Paul is pursuing in Romans and John is pursuing it and they're all saying that what, what you have to understand is that Jesus did a finished work on the cross, justification, that's a legal term that says, if you believe, what does that word believe? It means if you put your enduring confidence in Jesus, then his blood, his price, the, the cross of Calvary, his, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. What Jesus did on the cross paid the way. It, it is, it is a, a, a term, justification, that says you have been declared righteous, and now the work of you being conformed to his image can begin. This is, this is like sanctification. So now, Paul, th listen, this is like thick discipleship. You getting what he's saying to them? 
He says, the Lord's coming back. And when he comes back, you, you will be like he is. And in Romans, he uses this term glorified. And, and, and then he says, those that, that are dead, that have passed on, they, they will be made new. Those that alive and remain, he'll bring with him. So here's the thing, like, I mean, this is like mind blowing stuff. The point is in this glorification, this is what I believe, we get a glorified body, an eternal body that, that is like Jesus. It's an incredible promise. It's an incredible thing for us to, to cling to, but it's an already, but not yet. So once again, if we put the, if we put the emphasis in the wrong place, then we're left waiting for glorification. We're left waiting for a new body when we have things to do in this one. Paul, Paul's not done with this conversation and neither are we, okay? Some of y'all, you must have something good in the kitchen. Y'all are like, eh, come on now, wind it down, pastor. We're digging in, all right? Hang in there. Titus 2, 12 through 13, another book from Paul teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts should, uh, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, finish it with me, in this present world. Oh, did y'all hear it? Check me out. I'm getting a glorified body. Shoot, this is gonna be so good. I'm praying the Lord comes back right now so I can get my glorified body. I'm gonna look just like Jesus does. He went before us. I'm a son in God. I'm a son and daughter of the most high king. This is great, isn't it awesome? We have a father and we got a brother, Jesus. He's the firstborn uh, of this resurrection. And, and just like he's glorified and in that state, so we're, we're gonna be like him. This is gonna be great. So I'm just gonna hang out until he gives me my glorified body. Mm -mm. Uh, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we got a church that is full, that is full of theology that thinks that it's all done, it's all over with. No, 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 no. It is already, but not yet. We have a God that is coming. We have a God that has predestined. He is called. He has made way. He is justified, but he's done it for a purpose in this present world. We cannot look unto what is coming and let that take the place of what we should be doing in this present moment. I see number one, that there is life after death for those that believe and trust and have faith, but I also see number two, there is a life worth living before death ever happens. There is a life worth living before death ever happens. If we truly, if we truly internalize the truths that we believe and trust in God has made way, God has given us the power to overcome our sin through his Holy Spirit, through justification, he has made way for sanctification. He is setting us apart. He is working through our life now. Paul said there is stuff to do in this present moment. There is a life worth living before death ever happens. Number two, trustworthiness in the cross for salvation should equate to trustworthiness in our present life for sanctification. And that's the path to glorification. So dear saint of God, if you're sitting there waiting for something to come to pass, you don't have the proper perspective. You don't. 
You see, we have a power that has now been placed within us that is beyond this present world. It is beyond what the enemy can do. And it is greater within us than it is, it is over he that is in the world. Do you understand? It's because he's gifted you the spirit of God for this present moment. What are some things, I think this is just super cool. I'm gonna land the plane on this chat and go a little long. There's a life worth living before death ever happens. Here's some insights to the second coming of our Lord. Look at chapter five, verse number one. There's a little Matt theology coming. Go search it, go read other books. I'm not telling you to avoid. This is just some thoughts I had this week. You ready? But of the times, verse number five, verse one, chapter five, verse one. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of what? The light. And the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunk are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet of salvation and the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain what? Salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we, we, we should live together with who? Wherefore, Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Before we run and chase the next thought of, oh, did you see what Trump did in the Middle East? Lord's coming back. <laughs> Before we, like Paul in his present moment said that we will be with him. The Lord could come back what? Now. Was there anything left to happen for the Lord to come back then? No. Paul literally in his moment, he's saying, we which are alive and remain, we gotta get busy. The Lord's gonna come back. We will be with him. We will be changed in that moment. He was, he was saying, listen, the Lord's coming, get ready for it. The, the second coming of the Lord is a gift to every generation. It is a gift to every generation. Every generation should be saying, the Lord's coming back, but that should not be an excuse to rest on your spiritual laurels. It should be a motivating factor. A thousand years in heaven, the, the Bible says, is like a day on earth. It's been 2,000 years since the Lord came. That's a drop in the bucket. That's not even a three days journey in heaven for the Lord to be in the grave, right? The point is, is it is a gift to every generation that the Lord is coming back. It is a hope, Paul uses that word. So what do we do with this? Here, here's just some insights that I had that I thought were interesting from a couple of commentators. Revelations 1, uh, Re Revelation 1 says, 1, 7 says, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail upon him because of him, even so, amen. It says, behold, he cometh with the what? With the clouds. I don't think the verse made it. Revelation 1, 7, if it's in there. He cometh with the clouds. Clouds are a vehicle for the deity. 
Daniel 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one of the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. One commentator says this. He says that Satan is the prince and power of the what? Of the air. Prince and power of the air. So just follow me with this. Yeah, there's the verse. There it is. Back in the day, you think of like the mythology and these Greek gods. Like if I watch Hercules with my kids on Disney, right? Zeus comes rolling in on a what? Huh? On a cloud. They're vehicles. So when Paul was speaking to like this, this group of folks that part of them were a melting pot of that mythology that was being spread about that day. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus is gonna come on a cloud. So, <laughs> I'm getting excited, woo He's literally saying that like, you know all the gods that they're talking about are running around on clouds? You know Zeus, the Greek god of thunder or whatever he is? Their vehicles, our gods got one too. And, and if Satan is the prince and power of the air, we, we have to understand that we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, verse 17, in the what? Air. What is he saying? I love this. I love this. I, I'm gonna build, the, build it just a little bit more. When the pandemic happened, right, the government, stay with me, the government shut down the economy. And I heard one news anchor say it's like, it's like the U.S. government drove a, a Ford F-150 into your business, into your storefront, shutting it down, right? It's like the, the government drove a, a truck right into your storefront by shutting it down and clamping down. And we all felt that, right? When our economy stopped. And that's why we're handing out all this stimulus money. The shutdown is literally like driving a vehicle through the front door of everyone's business. The devastation that it happens financially. The air, <laughs> the air is Satan's business. And Paul knew it. They looked at that realm of what is happening in the spirit realm as something that Satan is controlling right now. If I were to tell you and say, hey, let's go and meet at that restaurant down in the inner harbor. I'm gonna show up in my white pickup truck. Why would I say that to you? Because I have a what? A white pickup truck. It's just, a, it's just saying, hey, when you see my truck, I'm gonna meet you there at that time. I'm gonna pull up in my truck. <laughs> It was just a normal, it would be a normal statement of me arriving. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, Jesus is gonna roll up in his pickup truck and he's gonna park it right through the front window of Satan's business and he's gonna explode it. So shall we meet him in the air. Here's what, here's what you have to understand. Here's what you have to understand that what we're doing right now is something that is a work that will come to completion. Why? Because our God is the one and only true God and he's got his own vehicle and when he shows up, he's gonna plow through this world and he's gonna drive a Mack, thru Mack truck right through Satan's business and he's gonna take over. That's what Paul is saying to them. He's gonna ride in on the clouds. We get fixated on clouds, clouds, clouds. Like, I'm waiting for the clouds to part. That's not, that's a vehicle. That's like saying, I'll be there at six o'clock in my truck. He's coming again. The Lord's coming back. And when he comes, he's coming with the purpose of eliminating the kingdom of darkness. So therefore, 
be ye children of the light now. Because when I come, I will dispel all the darkness. I will make every wrong right. Every believer, every child of the light, everyone that puts their enduring trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will remain. That's clear in this text. Man. Paul places his emphasis over and over on holy living and not theological systems. Over and over. What do we do with this? Well, we sit and wait till the Lord comes back. No. We don't sit and wait. If we truly believed that the coming kingdom that is here now and that the Lord's gonna drive through this economy with his, man, imagine what God's cloud's gonna look like. I mean, pretty awesome. I think it's gonna be like a white horse, you know, something about that. But the point is, it's gonna be a pretty grand entrance. We can live for that now. Do you know that? If we truly believed that, wouldn't we live differently? If, if I go back to that verse in Titus, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, lust, living soberly, looking for that blessed hope, how are we doing, church? Well, let me tell you about the end times right quick. Lord's coming. How's it gonna happen? Did you hear what Trump did? Like, that's what we do. Like, I'm not even playing. Like, you know that stuff happens. And I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying it should be the Lord's coming back. I believe in him so strongly. I can feel his presence daily. Satan is trying. Like, he comes in and he whispers these lies. But it's darkness. I'm a child of the light. I have a purpose. My purpose is for every child that was twofold a child of wrath, I'm gonna share the light with them. I'm not gonna project darkness upon them. I'm gonna project what? Light. Let's just read. I hope we have a grasp on, I'm just trying to like give you the message that Paul was giving to that church. Let's read the last part together and we'll, we'll end with that. We'll end with what Paul is saying to them. This is, this is the right perspective. Let's look at it together. Verse number 12, chapter five, verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them. He's talking about the pastors, those that are among you and over you that labor and to esteem them very, very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. The church should be a place of peace. It should be a place of love. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. Be patient towards what? All men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and what? To all men. He's landing the plane. You ready for this? Rejoice evermore. <laughs> Just that alone. Does that define the church today? Sometimes I feel as a pastor, I'm just constantly just trying to encourage people. Don't be sad. It's okay. Suffering is inevitable. Hope is what? Available. Have perspective to see the coming kingdom. Seek first that kingdom. All of those things don't matter. The Lord's about to drive a Mack truck through the prince and power of the air. Hey, rejoice evermore. Pray without what? Ceasing. 
In everything give what? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Why do we take thought for tomorrow? When all the things that we just read, why can't we all come together and, and like drive a Mack truck through our city for the sake of the gospel? Why can't we all be kingdom-minded here? Listen, quench not the what? Right now, the Holy Spirit is telling you how you can rejoice, how you can pray, what you can do. He, he's telling you right now how we can act in such a way that point number, point number two, there's a life worth living before death ever happens. There's something right now for you to do. Hey, you know what? The only way this is gonna be executed is if you quench not the what? How many of us just shut that thing off real quick? I'm, I'm scared that he would actually ask something of me. I'm scared that the Holy Spirit of God would actually tell me. Let me help you with something. He will. How many times in our lives has it just been clear that this is what we're supposed to do? And then we do it, and then people around us are like, what? I mean, even right now, let's just be honest. Pastor Matt, you're like, you know, <laughs> easy. I ain't even doing this stuff. Like I'm saying, this is nuts. I just think that if we actually let it happen, we'll be blown away. Friday night, those of you that were here, that, that emoji, you know what I mean? Blown mind. It's just, don't quench the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Like that's pretty clear. Hey, I have a word for you that the Lord gave me. No, you don't. Don't, don't tell me. <laughs> no, please. I'm good in my lane, Lord's coming back. Lord's, that's what I'm focused on. Lord's coming back, come on right now, hurry for she tells me something I gotta do. Hurry for the pastor asked me to be available. That dumb song, they sing it in worship one more time, I swear, I'm not coming back next week. I do enough. <laughs> this is 2020. This is, tw this is pastoring in 2020. But maybe we should just hit, let you handpick the worship set, okay? Sound good? <laughs> it's just, this is what we do. We quench the spirit. Someone has a word for you. I come up, listen, the Lord laid you on my heart. Oh, Lord, pastor. <laughs> what are you gonna say? Skirt. Don't despise it. Oh, 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 whoa, whoa. Hey, prove all things. It's okay. The Lord will reveal it. Everyone will be on the same page. If it's not right, we'll know. Prove it, abstain from all appearance of what? Evil. And the very, I just love this. Come on out and play. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. What's that word? Blameless. Keep it reading with me under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in there, verse 23. Verse 23, it, it summarizes it. And the very God of peace sanctify you. He's gonna set you apart, holy. I pray God, the whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. Faithful is he that calleth you. Sing, can you do that available one? Yeah. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Hey, 
faithful, verse 24, is he that calleth you who also will what? Do it. Here's what he says. Brethren, pray for us. Greet, greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. And every teenage guy was like, yeah, sign me up. Come here, baby girl. The Lord tells us to do it. The Lord tells us. I'm gonna greet you with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Here's where we're gonna, we're not gonna settle on the holy kiss, sorry fellas. We're gonna settle here. And that the very God of peace sanctify you in holy. I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the, under the coming of the Lord. Let me ask you this this morning. <laughs> if we truly believe point number one, that there's life after death for those that believe, then we'll believe the second thing that Paul was saying and that there's a life worth living, what? Now. I pray in this very present moment, as Paul said, that we'll abstain from those things that we shouldn't be doing. So if you're here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.